Gobble, gobble, bitches. Welcome, everyone, to episode 11 of the Diamond Duo podcast, just in time for Thanksgiving. I'm Tom the Turkey Bauer, joined by my co-producer and co-host, Pilgrim Puglisi. His first name is Tony, by the way. And we are the Diamond Duo, bringing you all around the MLB to give you a taste of what occurred in the past week, will occur this week, and plenty more. Brought to you by two people that will have to figure their shit out when the lockout happens in less than 10 days. Alrighty, Tony, this is going to be an interesting episode because I believe this is actually the first legitimate episode that we are producing of this podcast in which zero baseball was played on a diamond, and uh, we are talking about zero content of people on a diamond. Uh, Wow, that was a really terrible throw, but uh, how are you doing, Tony? I'm doing swell, and you know what? With how many times you said diamond in that sentence, it makes sense, because we're the diamond duo. That's what we do. We talk about folks playing baseball on a diamond, and folks, guess what? There, like Tom said, there hasn't been anybody playing baseball on a diamond since we last recorded. That was two weeks ago from this very day. So, yeah, we've got I, a ton of... Or, I'm sorry, continue. See, th- I was just about to say, listen, it's been two weeks. I haven't recorded anything since then, so I think I'm like a little cold going into this. So, I, th- I think it already just proved because I just cut you off less than like <laughs> 10 seconds ago. I mean, and you, I had you, a terrible you, throw. I mean, you nailed the intro. I mean, who's who's to know? My name could actually be Pilgrim. Maybe Tony's a pseudonym. <laughs> so, that all aside, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a ton of off-season news for you coming at you this fine day. We are recording this Monday, November 22nd, by the way. Tom said just in time for Thanksgiving. That is when we are, fingers crossed, hoping we will get this episode out to you fine folks. But right this very moment, Tom and I are sitting down to record on the evening of Monday, November 22nd. So anything that happens on November 23rd, 24th, etc. down the line, up until the release, we won't be covering because obviously it is yet to happen. Also, note, please follow us on social media. We just got done with our award series that we posted all throughout last week on Instagram, on Twitter. We gave out some funny awards, some legitimate awards, and one award that made Tom and I just regret being Yankees fans for a moment. Yes, it's the Defensive Dud Award. Thank you for asking. But... Go give us a follow. We are at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, The Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. And why don't you go follow us to get some more fun content? We're going to post graphics if we need to, if we do something fun on the show. And you'll get broadcasting updates because now with the baseball season not being on, we're going to be posting bi-weekly like we said last week. So keep an eye on our social media pages for any potential schedule changes. Yes, bi-weekly like we said last week when we didn't record a podcast last week. That, uh, there we go. Did, did I say that last week? Yes, you did. I'm sorry to throw you under the bridge, but, uh, well, at any rate, something, <laughs> something that also, Tony, you haven't mentioned to me once on this Discord call, I'm actually wearing my newly acquired Atlanta Braves hat. Tony, I know you're waiting for Black Friday because you were texting me about it, but you gotta get your jersey going, man, and well, we gotta you... post something for the gram. Well, you see, I haven't forgotten about that, ladies and gentlemen, listening to the podcast. I'm gonna buy a jersey. I'll I'll give you a little spoiler. It'll be a Freddie Freeman jersey. I won't tell you which jersey, though. And like Tom said, I'm very much waiting for Black Friday because I don't want to spend that much money on a jersey. And every other site I've come across that sells it looks awfully sketchy. 
And I don't feel like having my information stolen to buy a jersey of a team that I don't even normally root for. So, it'll come. Don't you worry, ladies and gentlemen. It'll show up in the mail. And when it does, Tom and I will post some nice pictures to Instagram and Twitter of us supporting the World Series champions. But anyway, that all out of the way, let's actually get into some of this off-season news. Because nothing earth-shattering has happened yet, but we have had a nice little shuffling of parts all throughout MLB. We've had some signings, some re-signings, and even a trade here and there. So... Tom, I, when I constructed the rundown, I literally just took the strategy of throw shit at the wall, just this trade happened, this trade happened, this trade happened. Let's just go over all, all that's happened in the past two weeks, let's highlight some big ones, and let's deep dive what we think of them. Would you like to begin? I would love to. So I'm just going to list everything that I have written on my phone in my notes. It's going to cover most of these off-season moves that are on here. Tony, I'll let you pick up the pieces of where I leave off. But the first big free agent signing was left-handed former Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez going to the Detroit Tigers five years between 77 and 80 million dollars then I wrote down Jose Barrios because he got big money from O Canada he's going back to Toronto seven years 131 million dollar extension he's got an opt-out after the fifth year eliminated no trade protection up next former Met Noah Syndergaard to the Angels, one year, $21 million. The Angels are losing a second round pick to the Mets, by the way, for that. They get huge upside in Noah Syndergaard for signing that. And I've got two more signings to discuss. Justin Verlander, he re-signed with Houston for one year, $25 million. However, he's got a player option that will essentially make it a two-year, $50 million deal. Thank God the Yankees didn't pay Justin Verlander that much money over two years. God forbid. I probably would have screamed. I probably would have been happy. Maybe not so much our friend Jesse, who uh, loves Justin Verlander to a burning <laughs> passion. He's probably got a poster of him up in his room that he prays to every night. I can confirm <laughs> Sorry, this. Jesse. <laughs> I can also confirm I'm on his wall, too, because he has a picture of when me and him uh, did um, Batter's Box with a thumbs-down guy, Carrie Denier. I saw that oh was up God. on his wall at one point. I forgot you actually did that. So, things that are confirmed to be on Jesse's wall. Tom, the thumbs-down guy, and Justin Verlant. <laughs> yes, we can <laughs> confirm all this, people. Don't even go ask Jesse about this. Just trust us. Source, <laughs> the source of this... Trust me, bro. Anyway, <laughs> I got one more signing, and it seems to be the only star player to accept their $18 million qualifying offer. That's going to be Brandon Belt giving the Giants one more year of service for the star first baseman and the captain of the team unofficially. Tony, there has been more news over the past two weeks, though, and I will let you take the reins for some trades that have happened or trade that has happened and uh, some other signings. That is correct. So to clean up the last few couple of transactions that have transpired over the past two weeks we've got an interesting trade actually the oakland a's the for now oakland a's have acquired former top pitching prospect brent honeywell jr from the tampa bay rays in exchange for cash considerations the braves have also signed former brewers catcher manny pina i believe he got a two-year contract he will back up travis darno and it allows prospects like william Contreras and Shea Langoliers to sort of get another year or two of being up at AAA and working on all they need to before they're ready to take over 
at the big league level, presumably when Darno's contract runs out. Um, and just the last few couple things, this is actually breaking news on the night we are recording as the San Francisco Giants got back two of their pitchers in addition to retaining Brandon Belt. They re-signed Anthony DiSclafani, who I was actually hoping Tom was going to get to pronounce this gentleman's name because... In a previous episode, we had to talk about Mr. DiSclafani, and Tom, ever the Italian wunderkind, uh, <laughs> called him, what'd you call him, DiSclafini? What's his name, Tom? That's how I always thought it was. I always thought his spelling was D-I, and then S-A, or whatever D, whatever DiSclafini would be, I knew, I thought that's how it was spelled in my head. I now know it's Anthony DiSclafani. The way I told him, by the way, folks, I told him, picture the bowl of tomato sauce that's called Sclafani. Just add D in front of it. In case you couldn't tell, I'm Italian. That's how you know. But they they got Anthony D. Sclafani, and they also picked up Alex Wood, another part of their pitching rotation this year. Both of them, not very surprising that they're coming back. I was a little surprised at Alex Wood, as he was kind of, outside of Johnny Cueto, kind of the weakest of the rotation. Not bad by any means. Trust me, on any other team, he'd be, he'd still probably crack the rotation on most teams, but still a solid pickup. By no means bad. And Anthony DiSclafani, obviously one of the biggest bounce back candidates from last year. Uh, and the last note we've got right here is another pitcher that the Angels are going to ruin. I mean, add to their pitching staff. Mets revived left-hander out of the pen, Aaron Loop is going to make his way to the City of Angels. Angels seem to be keen on having more than one good bullpen arm coming out of that pen, because trust me, Rizal Iglesias was getting it done, nobody else was. So, the Angels at least have two good pitchers. Let's see how fast uh, it takes for them to ruin him. I mean, utilize him. Pardon me, I'm sorry, Freudian slip. <laughs> so, these are the biggest moves that have happened, or rather, these are all the moves that have happened in the last two weeks. Tom, would you like to go in and talk about anyone in particular? Because I'm not going to lie, I want to talk about the Brent Honeywell one, but I'll pass the torch to you so I'm not talking everybody's ear off. By the way, first off, I just checked just to confirm, Aaron Loop is right now the only Angels good reliever right now, because Rysel Iglesias is a free agent, you got to keep in mind. I so the Angels don't have him. <laughs> So, uh, I forgot he was a free agent. Oh, the, the Angels are so f if they don't get it back. They're already f but... Listen, they acquired Tyler Wade for a player to be named later, so maybe, <laughs> you know what, the maybe they'll just go in full rebuild and give us Mike Trout or Shohei Otani as the player to be named later. You know what, they'll get the salary oh, out of the way. They don't have to worry about blowing expectations like they have for the past six years in a row. <laughs> they can just pass that torch over to the Yankees, who've been doing it for like four now. But, uh, Shohei Otani for Tyler Jesus. Wade. <laughs> that would be a great deal. I would do that in MLB the show in a heartbeat if the Angels offered that. But uh, <laughs> that's realistically the only situation that would happen. I was going to joke <laughs> about MLB the show. <laughs> uh, any rate, I'm just trying to look for the most surprising deal out of the bunch we've talked about. I mean, I could go the direction of Brandon Bell actually accepting a qualifying offer because pretty much he could have gotten a multi-year offer if he really wanted to. Maybe he talked it over with his agent and he thought, hey, you know what, 18 mil a year? Maybe you weren't going to get that out of another deal. I think the Giants probably would have offered that to him. They're in a win-now position based off of last year and they need all their assets back. Um, hence why they got DiSclafani and Alex Wood, because the only person in their rotation otherwise, thank you for the round of applause, by the way, Tony, uh, <laughs> the only person in the rotation that had a contract for next year was uh, Logan Webb. So they really needed these two guys to be signed. I guess out of this bunch, I would have to pick the Verlander deal, just as the most surprising to me, uh, mainly because they gave him two years 
at $50 million, 25 mil a pop. Uh, I kind of expected him to get that, at least for next year. I just didn't expect the Astros to actually work out a deal with Verlander in this regard. I know Verlander, I was reading, he kind of gave his loyalty to Houston. He kind of took that into consideration when he was making this deal, but uh, kudos to him and his agent for actually getting this deal going, because either way, even if he doesn't want to pitch next year, he could just like trip over a ladybug and like roll his ankle and be out for the season and still collect a $25 million paycheck. So good for Justin Verlander for taking that. So yeah, I guess that would be the most surprising offer out of this. I mean, Tony, I don't know if you have the most surprising offer out of any of these. Maybe Noah Syndergaard a little bit. Maybe you didn't expect him to sign right away. But uh, I know you want to talk about Brent Honeywell Jr. So please take the baton, uh, whichever way you want to go with this. So what I wanted to talk about this is it was kind of an under the radar trade. It was talked about, it was tweeted about, but it's interesting to me because you look not too long ago and Brent Honeywell was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball and holy he's on the Rays, a team that pumps out quality pitchers like they're nothing. So I, for one, was looking forward to seeing Honeywell come up with the Rays. Obviously not if he was going to be carving up the Yankees, but a good pitcher is a good pitcher. All this for Honeywell, if you don't remember, came, I don't want to say crashing down, but definitely took a bit of a step back in 2017. Got hurt towards the end of the year. It was after the final came, unfortunately, and he underwent four elbow surgeries and was sidelined for almost four years. He just recently made that comeback to pitching professionally, had to retool his release, he had to basically, I don't want to say teach him how to pitch again, but teach himself how to pitch again, so to speak. So the A's are definitely buying in on a guy who was kind of organizationally locked in terms of the Rays, which trust me, they go through pitchers like they go through toilet paper. Anyone who could throw a ball somewhat well, they'll, you know, they'll put him out there in the first, first inning as an opener. But to get someone who used to be an elite pitching prospect for cash considerations, especially in a spot Oakland is in right now, I think that's actually very smart because if he doesn't pan out, then oh well, all you lost was some cash, which granted Oakland doesn't have a ton of that to begin with, but that's a different story. And if he turns out well, if he actually pitches up to his potential in spite of the injuries, then congratulations Oakland, that is a damn steal. You've just got yourself another stud in the rotation next to Chris Bassett and Frankie Montas. So... Now, in terms of Noah Syndergaard, the only real way that's surprising is, like you said, Tom, that he signed right away. It is not surprising that the Angels are going big on another blue chip name again. And I love Thor, but it's going to go the same way as they all do. That's all I've got to say about that. You know, I kind of made the comparison of, I think when we were talking about Robbie Ray with the Diamonds Dozen, where his next deal could make him look like CJ Wilson or can make him look like Mike Hampton. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the Angels continually pump out Mike Hampton-esque deals. I mean, luckily, this is only a one-year deal, but this isn't going to solve all the Angels' problems right away by getting Noah Syndergaard. Huge upside, but dude just got off of Tommy John surgery, so I, I, I don't know. They need to prove a lot more to me in the offseason. Maybe make some good moves to actually, oh, gee, I don't know, actually have pitching depth for once, for Christ's sake. Their offense could get it done. They'll probably need a little bit more help, but they can get it done. They've got some quality guys there. they got some young guys up and coming. Jared Walsh, Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh. And uh, yeah, the only thing I'll say about the Honeywell deal is that I guess this is just a sign that the Rays were going to not include him on the 40-man. Maybe they said, you know what? Time's up. It's too late for him. And uh, they already are in a quality position to win. They don't want to take a chance on somebody to uh, ruin the uh, mojo, I guess, a little bit. So maybe that was just the case there, but it was a good trade for the A's. Uh, At any rate, let's move on to our next topic, the 40-man crunch. 
So this is just, uh, we just want to really kind of go over this really, really quickly just to kind of explain how the 40-man roster works. If you're not already aware of it, there were some noteworthy prospects added to the 40-man. It doesn't necessarily mean they'll be M- there'll be MLB ready next season. It just serves as a particular purpose. Tony, would you like to explain that purpose? When you add certain players to your 40-man roster, a decent chunk of them are going to be prospects. And the reason teams are going to do that is because there's something you may have heard of called the Rule 5 Draft. And the Rule 5 Draft, in the simplest of terms, it's when any team can look at a list of players that were basically omitted from 40-man rosters, omitted from basically any sense of a team pegging them and saying, no, you can't take them. And they could just scoop them up in a draft-like format. Some teams are higher than others. It's like an... I don't want to say it's like an expansion draft because it's not an expansion draft, but think of it like that. Think of a 40-man roster almost as a roster of players that have to be protected. And certain prospects, after a certain amount of time in the bigs, or just in professional baseball, are eligible to be open for that Rule 5 draft. So if an MLB team wants to protect them, they put them on the 40-man roster. For example, the Mariners don't want to lose Julio Rodriguez to the Rule 5 draft, because if they accidentally leave him exposed, guess what? Whoever's at the top of that Rule 5 draft is taking, what is he, like the number two, number three prospect in all of baseball? Yeah, the the Mariners don't want that to happen. So if they need to, if they need to make roster space, they'll make a trade, like Tom brought up earlier, the Brent Honeywell trade, very likely was to make roster space on the 40-man. They'll trade someone away, or they'll DFA someone, or designate for assignment. Only a few teams ended up doing it. Uh, Ironically enough, one of the most prolific DFAers this year was the New York Yankees. In order to make room on their 40-man for prospects like Oswald Peraza and substitute teacher of the year Stephen Ridings, yes, yes, people, he made the 40-man, the Yankees DFA'd three names. Rignan Odor was DFA'd, Tyler Wade was DFA'd, and like Tom alluded to earlier, he was actually dealt to the Angels um, in exchange for a player to be named later. And the last and most prolific name I think of the entire class to be DFA'd was Mr. Clint Frazier. Oh my goodness, I ranted about this to Tom over text. I ranted about this to another Yankees friend of mine, but all I'll say is, don't you love how... If you have a surplus of one position and a dearth of another, you'll trade away from that surplus to add to the deficit in a given year. Like, for instance, a team in 2019 that has a ton of outfielders but a shortage of starting pitching, wouldn't you trade one of those outfielders to get at least a decent pitcher? He doesn't have to be a Jacob deGrom. He could just be a Wade Miley, so long as he pitches decently well. But no, Brian Cashman throws it out the window, says, that. We're going to keep Clint Frazier on our roster for the next two years, have him barely play unless people are injured, have him perform at least somewhat well in 2020, he had something of a breakout year, Uh, then have him develop vision problems, inconsistent playing time, and just absolute not a good organization for Clint Frazier to be in, and now you have given him up for nothing. Just round of applause for Mr. Cashman, absolutely getting the cream of the crop for his players. And in all seriousness, for Clint Frazier, I hope he finds a home somewhere else. He deserves a starting role, hopefully in a place like Cleveland, who really needs an outfielder. Ironically enough, that's where he was traded from. Wait, the Yankees got him from Cleveland? Yeah, that was in the Andrew Miller deal back in a 2016 or something oh like that. God, I forgot about that. I don't know why he, I thought he was a Yankees prospect. I'm not smart, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Hopefully he finds a starting role in Brian Cashman. Jesus Christ, how did you f*** that up? Tony, I was looking on Twitter right after this Clint Frazier thing. I was about to go on a rant about that, and I stopped, and I was staring at old trades 
that were just a boatload of Yankees prospects where they'd include names like a Clint Frazier, a Miguel Andujar, and then two other prospects who I have no idea the names of now, but were probably a little bit bigger a couple of years ago. And they would say, would you trade these four players for somebody like a Garrett Cole or a Max Scherzer or some like big name? And everybody would say no at the time. I was one of those people because I was highly sold into the futures of these gentlemen. Uh, Andrew Harst on the 40-man, so mainly on Clint Frazier. The Yankees have given him no opportunity. I was going to say they gave him all the opportunities in the world, but I'd be lying to myself if I said that. They gave him zero opportunities to grow and develop. They kept bashing him, like just bullying him, saying, yeah, it was his attitude. Now it's his play. Now he can't play defense. Now it's this, it's that, it's the injuries. They gave him no chance whatsoever. You could have gotten something out of him. Everybody on Yankees Twitter has probably been saying that for the past three years. You could trade him if you're not going to play him. And unfortunately, this is a situation we're in right now. But just moving along, one of the names you also wrote down on here was Williams Ostadio. I just wanted to bring him up because he got into a huge fight in the DR. He clocked the dude so hard. Like, and I think it's like the Winter League down there. I'm pretty sure, dude... Like, it was like a mound charge. I think he came in from, like, third base or something. And, dude, like... Like a WWE moved, I'll drive this guy into the ground. It was just a sight to see. You got to check it out on Twitter if you haven't seen it already, folks. You know what's funny? I almost forgot that happened. It was only after you said that I drew that correlation. Like, the, this man, this Cy Young Award-worthy pitcher, by the way, that mean 40-mile-per-hour Ephus, gets DFA'd, goes down to the, wow, the Dominican Republic, and just clotheslines a dude. I think he almost knocked him out, too. So, like Tom said, please go watch that video. I think John Boy's got a video break in a town. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Let's continue. Continue to move on along with these uh, headlines that we have written down. We've got a couple more left, and probably the last two will just briefly touch on. Maybe a rant here or two in there. But big news in the Queens! The New York Mets! They finally got a president! No, they didn't. They got a general <laughs> manager. Woo! Congratulations, Mets. You've managed to hire someone. The fact that it took this long... <laughs> It only took them the span of, how many did you write down? Four other GMs in the past 13 months to finally get, hopefully, keep your fingers and toes crossed, people, a stable general manager, and his name is Billy Epler, the former Angels GM, which I kind of find it funny that Syndergaard was a Met and Aaron Loop now was a Met, and now they're both going to Anaheim. It's like it's like they did a clean swap. Like, I think they did manager <laughs> trades in the past. Like, I feel like this is just a gen the f the f general manager and the players swapping places, even though Epler was not employed by the Angels this year. I was like Perry... M. Perry Manassian, I believe is his name. I was going to say Menagian or something like that, but I knew it was going to be wrong, so I didn't want to say it, but I said it anyway, so whatever. Never stopped you before, Mr. DeScalfini, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. So what this means for the Mets is, congratulations, you've actually hired a general manager. Hopefully this one could stick around for more than a few months. Oh my goodness, because if you remember, the Mets have been playing GM Hot Potato for, like Tom said, the past 13 months. They've gone through five of them. And the last two, they really couldn't have controlled. Oh my goodness, one of them's a f***ing cretin. I don't even want to say what he did, nor mention his name. He's a f***ing pervert, and I hope he doesn't get another job in MLB. And the other one got behind the wheel after, drunk, after drinking. I don't believe he actually drove, but still. Count's intention to drive counts. 
and now he wasn't the general manager. Maybe Billy Epler could stay longer, like I said, but Billy Epler actually, in his time with the Angels, did not really have an entirely bad rep. If anything, he got a bad rep for his relationship with Artie Moreno, a notoriously tough owner to work with. Like, Artie Moreno, oh man, if you want one scapegoat for the reason the Angels are as bad as they are, he's not a bad guy to point a finger at. Obviously, the woes of a team is not due to one man, but I'm getting sidetracked. Billy Epler is the guy that brought guys such as Jared Walsh into the fray. He was responsible for the draft of Joe Adele as well. He did as much as he could for the organization. I think that's the general feel of it. But again, we didn't really get to see what he was cap truly capable of with Artie Moreno overruling him at every step of the way. Like, Artie went over his head to sign Anthony Rendon to the deal that he was signed to. Hopefully now in New York with an owner who's going to cultivate a better environment for Epler, we'll get a better chance to see what he can do. Because I'm not just going to write him off because, oh, he was with the Angels, he sucks. That was a very environment for, for an executive. Everybody knows that. I'm sure Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson know that, so hopefully they'll give him all the resources he needs to be successful in this role, which obviously remains to be seen. I'm going to be op optimistic. I really can't talk. I'm going to be optimistic about it. I know that's kind of a fool's trap for the New York Mets, but you know what? I'm not going to trash him. I'm not going to trash the Mets for once because this is a GM that looks like he could actually stay for the long haul and provided Sandy Alderson doesn't overreach, I think Epler should at least be given the tools to be successful. That's that's what I've got to say about that. The Mets can actually go out and get a manager. If you didn't say that already, I'll echo it. They can get go out and get a manager. How about that? And it should be of Billy's choice, hopefully not Sandy's choice, because some of Sandy's choices have not resulted in very good things happening over the uh, past 13 months. We'll use the uh, GM timeline. But uh, yeah, that's all I really got to say about the Mets. Uh, hopefully they'll actually straighten the ship out and um, get into some contention, because, uh, wow, I had no idea where I was going to go with that. Uh, just ho hopefully well, they'll straighten the ship out, you know? <laughs> I, again, might be a lot to ask of the Mets right now anyway, but again, we'll see. Remember, it's not even 10 years ago they were in the World Series. With the right brass, maybe they could actually get back there. By the way, they did that under the Wilpons, so anything could happen. That, w that was a little bit of luck involved, though, I feel like, with that. But <laughs> then again, all World Series teams, if you make it, whether you win or not, there's some luck involved. Um, and course. also some key of trades course. involved as well. Any rate, now let's move on to one of our last topics, and this one we'll just breeze right through. We just wanted to make a note of it before it actually happens, and you may have heard me reference this in the intro when I introduced myself as Tom the Turkey, but this is that um, Rob Manfred, he's determined to reach, hopefully, a new CBA deal before December 1st. If not, then they go into a lockout, and we know that that can make things go multiple different ways for the good, bad, or ugly. Unfortunately, on the good, bad, or ugly scale, I think it's going to be very ugly because, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't remember how things went during the COVID-shortened season and negotiations with that, well, let's just say we might not be playing baseball until April or May, or late April or early May, uh, because honestly, I feel like a strike could very well happen, or at least a shortened season going forward if things don't uh, right the ship at any rate. So yeah, December 1st, it's when the CBA expires. That's when a lockout would go into effect. A lockout does not equal work stoppage. I think that's what Tony was putting in the rundown. He put a little exclamation mark, uh, back forward slash or backslash, and then an exclamation, or not an exclamation, equal me? sign. Jesus. <laughs> 
It's not even the equals, same plane. Equals slash equals. God damn. This is taking longer than I wanted to talk about this. And you're Tony, you're, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, you pretty much covered all the bases. And for clarification, yes, that's what I intended. A lockout does not equal a work stoppage. What a lockout basically entails is just free agency stops, all transactions stop until a deal is reached. That is initiated by the owners. A work stoppage is initiated by the players. That is more dangerous. That's when the players say, we're not taking the field, we're not going to play baseball, until this gets sorted out. A work stoppage is what could potentially delay the season. And as optimistic as I want to be, I could be optimistic about the Mets. I don't know how optimistic I could be about this. I feel like a lockout is imminent. It's like Tom said, December 1st is the deadline. If there's no decision made by then, we go into a lockout. That's not necessarily panic mode yet, but again, look back at the COVID negotiations, how long that took, how much deceit was going on between the owners, Manfred, and the players' union, how much of that crap was circling and for how long it was uh, circulating. I don't even want to think about how long this could potentially be going around because they have issues like service time manipulation and the whole sticky stuff scandal, how the league handled that. I imagine Tyler Glass now has got quite a grievance against the league with that one. Universal DH. Universal TH is another one. <laughs> so maybe things get smoothed over before spring training. Maybe not. I, I don't know how good it looks, folks, but this is really a thing that we have to wait and see. We did want to bring it up now because this will be our last episode released before that December 1st deadline. If we go into a lockout, no free agent signings, no trades, no nothing. So, oh, oh, oh. Tom and I are going to have plenty of time to talk about what could potentially happen in a lockout because there's literally going to be no free agency dealings to report should that end up happening. So, wanted to bring that up for now. We'll touch more on it later because I, I fear it won't be the first time we'll be hearing about it. The awards in the MLB. By the way, for those of you uh, paying attention, no, they have not released the Outstanding Designated Hitter Award uh, winner yet. Uh, keep that in mind. That's the last award they are announcing. That has not been announced yet, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, shucks. <laughs> yeah, shucks. There, there was a whole boatload of stuff we could talk about with this. The awards have kind of been announced. It's kind of almost a little bit of old news at this rate, so we're going to go through it briefly and kind of air our grievances with some of the votes that some people did or did not receive. So let's start out with probably, I think we, Tony and I kind of have, we could talk about who received 10th place votes in the MVP, but there's more significant stuff because honestly that doesn't matter. You receive an MVP vote, yeah, whatever. Lamont Wade Jr., Austin Meadows, two people that shouldn't have gotten 10th place MVP votes, but really who f cares there's two notable omissions or not really omission well one notable omission and one kind of head scratching thing let's talk about the omission first that was the al manager of the year now i was watching the presentation live and john Heyman i saw on twitter is like yeah kevin cash is like the expected favorite to win it. i'm like no you don't john you don't know baseball come on now you're just a paid mlb reporter for mlb network you don't know nothing about the sport what the is wrong with you he's been wrong plenty of times before turns out kevin cash ran away with the al manager of the year award raking 19 excuse me collecting 19 first place votes over scott service of the mariners who he thought should have easily won this award and i'm going to go into a mini rant here before i pass it on to tony what level of expectation did the rays really have after winning the AL pennant, yes, they won 100 games for the first time in the franchise's history. Good for them. 
They were the favorite in the American League, outside of maybe the White Sox or the Yankees, but both of them fell flat on their faces during the season and postseason. They were the next best favorite. They win 100 games, they cakewalk the division, but are you kidding me? I feel like the Manager of the Year award deserves to go to the person who leads their franchise from kind of a low spot back into the limelight. At the very least, you don't have to make the playoffs because the Mariners went 90-72. and 72. They were like two games at most away from the playoffs at the end of the season. Hence the example of Gabe Kapler nearly going unanimous with this award. The Giants were expected to do nothing this season, and they just go out and win 107 games and get taken out by the Dodgers in the NLDS, unfortunately for them. But it should have been Scott Service's award to lose, and unfortunately, the writers did not recognize that. I, I don't know, man. That's just stupid in my opinion. Maybe I just have a different thinking style than some MLB writers. Tony, do you have any words you would like to say about this? Or would you like to open the discussion, a can of worms, about your MVP pick that ultimately <laughs> lost to my MVP pick? So everything you said about Scott Service, I completely agree with. I'm not going to go on my own spiel because you pretty much summed it up right. Now, in terms of MVP picks, if y'all remember, my pick for NL MVP was Juan Soto. I argued that he put up similar numbers offensively to Bryce Harper, if not better in some regards, and he was overall much better defensively than Bryce, Bryce Harper. Ultimately, Bryce Harper won, which I'm, I'm fine with. Bryce put up a really good year, so long as it wasn't Fernando Tatis, horrifically overrated, I would be fine with that. You see, my question with Juan Soto, Clearly, the voters, the MLB voters, thought as, okay, Bryce Harper's won Juan Soto's two. You see that in the fact that most of Juan Soto's votes were second place votes. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my burning question. Will the man who voted Juan Soto seventh please stand up? Will the man who voted Juan Soto sixth please stand up? I I'm sorry, what six players do you have above Juan Soto? I could get like one or two. Three at the most. I say three is even stretching it. How do you put six ahead of Juan Soto? That, to me, just apart from the fact that Soto is my favorite hitter in baseball, that just, to me, seems objectively wrong. Tom and I were even talking about some of these gentlemen's ballots. Like, it's, it's straight-up comical. It's comical, because if you don't know, Brandon Crawford finished fourth in MVP voting. But he did actually get, I believe, two first-place votes. He got four first-place votes. He got four. I had to guess because my phone had to be reset. Thank you, Apple. <laughs> I believe they were all from the West Coast. I believe... May I know the two San, San Francisco voters definitely put Brandon Crawford as their first place, and I feel like that's biasy. That's bull. Oh, that's not at all biased. One of those voters, oh, I believe her go. name is Susan, was the one go. who put Soto in sixth. Oh! Do you want to know her ballot? It went Crawford, Trey Turner, Tyler O'Neill, and then in some order, Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr., and then Juan Soto at sixth. Who in their right mind decided... Well, obviously, in Susan's right mind, she decided that. But what the f***, Susan? <laughs> like, yeah... <laughs> Tom, you took the ballot out of my mouth. Like, I was going to write, because you texted this to me. We were texting back and forth about these ballots. You brought that to my attention. And you know how on iPhones you can react to certain texts? Like, you can laugh, like, dislike, or question? I never used the question function before until this night. When I saw that ballot, that was my only reaction was, what the f***? Like, I, oh my god. And she put... Tyler O'Neill a third. I, we can go on this rant for an hour, but moral of the story, 
It's been a lot of push to fix Hall of Fame and All-Star voting, which I definitely agree with. Can we give the awards voting to people with brains as well? That would, I think, really help things. I, I really think so. Yeah. Uh, such a headache Jesus these people Christ. can be I, sometimes. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about the writers who vote zero players on their Hall of Fame ballot. That's just complete disrespect to the sport of baseball, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But... I'll I'll, sa- I'll save that for when actual votes are released, and I will, if they are not cowardly and put their name as anonymous, I will call them out on this podcast. I'm not afraid. If you're going to put your name to pay- paper and be adamant, like one or zero players, or even less than three or four in my mind, are on your ballot, you're getting called out because that's absolutely ludicrous. I'm something. I'm somebody who will believe, and I've got 10 votes, I'm going to give 10 people all the votes. That's just my opinion. Whether they, I think they're going to be in the Hall of Fame or not, at least I'll keep their name on the ballot, is my thinking. But at any rate, Hall of Fame ballots are a completely different day because we don't have the time to go into that this week, but that's enough headlines to discuss. You know, let's have cooler heads prevail and forget about Susan and the San Francisco whatever the f- paper she writes for let's just cool things off with a trivia question that might make me go irate if i get it incredibly wrong or if it's like incredibly difficult either that or we're gonna be filled with laughter because ladies and gentlemen tom and i what we'd normally do before the show is hey what's your trivia question about like what's it about just a general topic and we'll say something like oh the twins oh league leaders or something like that we both said awards so all right that's to be expected all right what award mvp and tom goes uh <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen we have a first we have a risk of asking the same question see here's the thing you were looking at mlb stats on twitter i'm pretty sure that's where i got my question from oh, about good. the mlb about mvp so i'm like uh-oh that's not good well but you know what good- i'm I'm interested to hear if we got the same question or not. Exactly. The good thing is we both have backups, so we won't need to cut anything out to find a new question. If anything, this will be more humorous if we actually do have the same one. But without further ado, Tom, my question, to the surprise of, again, literally no one, Mr. Shohei Otani took home oh. American League MVP. <laughs> and Tom's We're going gonna... in the same direction. <laughs> but let's go see. On, go on, ask the question. There's a couple different stats, though. Let's see. Now, Shohei Otani was not just the American League MVP. He was the unanimous American League MVP. And he's shaking his head. We have the same question. So, Tom, my question to you. I was going to ask you for the three, before Shohei Otani, the three most recent unanimous a- uh, MVPs. Did No way. We have, we're looking at the same graphic, I swear to God, <laughs> on Twitter. Wait, this one? Yep, that one! <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! This was bound to happen at some point. But I was... Total sw- heaven. <laughs> Tony, I was going to ask you to just name me five of the other unanimous AL MVPs. That was going to be my question. You didn't have to give me a year. I just wanted five of those names because I think there's like 10 or 11 on the list. Uh, by the way, to answer your question, Mike Trout, Ken Griffey Jr., and Frank Thomas. <laughs> Whoa! How'd you get that so quick? Oh my goodness! God, God damn it! I knew from the second I saw this was on MLB Stats that this was going to go Ari in one way or another for me. Oh, God, I... 
Well, to, my, I might have shot myself in the foot with this because my other, my backup question is from MLB Stats, but I think it's from long enough ago. Hopefully, this won't be repeated. This one is, this one's about Rookie of the Year. Okay, this is definitely not what I was going to ask as my backup question, but Molto so we bene. be okay here. So... Randy Rosarena was the recipient of American League Rookie of the Year. Now, something Rosarena did this year was he accumulated 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. He actually entered pretty elite company with that. In the wildcard era, there are only, I should have counted this out before, there are only seven, seven players in the wildcard era who have done that as rookies. Not all of them have won Rookie of the Year, but still. Tom, I want you to name me the last player before Rosarena to have 20 home runs and 20 steals as a rookie. Okay, I probably have seen this graphic before, but I still don't know the answer off the top of my head. Um, I know one of those people has to be Mr. Mike Trout, because I'm pretty sure dude posted like a 30 home run, 30 stolen base season. Am I going in the right direction? Mike Trout is on this graph, but he's not the most recent. Mike Trout was a rookie in 2012. You were looking basically 2013 and onward. And by the way, they don't have to be Rookie of the Year recipients. No, I, I heard that part. I just knew Mike Trout was the first player that came to mind when I was trying to ponder this answer. Gotcha. Uh, well, it, well, luckily for me, I can already eliminate one year, because if anybody did that in the 2020 season as a rookie, bravo to them. They would have surely <laughs> won Rookie of the Year last year, but that didn't happen. Because uh, I'm pretty sure Kyle Lewis did not put up 20 home runs, and I'm pretty sure he's not that fast. So, uh <laughs> can't be Kyle Lewis. You were right. It's not Kyle Lewis. Yeah, good for me. So <laughs> now I got to go back even further and try and figure this one out. Oh, you know what? How about this name? Because I'm wearing an Atlanta Braves hat. Maybe uh, maybe it's their star center fielder, Ronald Acuna Jr. Maybe he was the last one to do it. Oh, is it? Do you think it is? This isn't who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> I'm not going to say final answer. Just tell me if it's the final answer or not. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good yeah. It's not. That's a good guess, God though. Damn. I'm actually surprised he's not here. God damn it. <laughs> uh, Try to think of a hint. You could tell me the year. You could give me a league. I mean, maybe. I'll give you a league. American League. American League. Okay, so I can eliminate National League teams. I'll also shorten the sample size a little. You can go 20, 2015 and onward. Okay, so still got to think of American League Rookie of the Year candidates. Because if they put up a 2020 <laughs> season, they have to be a candidate. I'll tell you, it's not like a, an Acuna type of great, great player. You know who he is, but it's not like a top 10 player. I hope I would know who he is. <laughs> um, it's actually Billy Hamilton. Shut the f*** up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think he has 20 home runs in his career. <laughs> Was it Aaron Judge by any chance? Did he steal 20 bases in his season? It is not. It's not Aaron Judge. All right. I'm going to officially give up because I think I've been thinking about this for like three or four minutes and I can't formulate an answer. So, Tony, please enlighten me. Who is the last 2020 player as a rookie? So, I was tempted to say this when you said Aaron Judge, but I knew it would give it away. You were close with Aaron Judge in that there was another rookie in 2017 in the AL East who had a pretty good season. I think he finished second in Rookie of the Year voting, I think, because I know it was Judge and Bellinger that year. And this man's name was Andrew Benintendi. Really? He put up 20 home runs his first year? Yeah, I actually, he, he gets overshadowed a lot by Judge and uh, by Bellinger. I, strangely enough, two of the best rookie seasons we've seen in a while, both in the same year. But Benintendi often gets forgotten. Very good rookie season, 
won the World Series with the Red Sox the next year, and overall had a very, very good start to his career, got a 2020 season. And the guy who had one after Benintendi was Mike Trout in 2012. There was no one else. Well, you know, I wouldn't have thought Andrew Benintendi. I was going through it, and I was thinking Xander, Raphael, but I'm like, they're not that fast. I didn't think of Andrew Benintendi because he's kind of fallen off and went to another franchise, so that's probably why I didn't think of him. Good backup question, Tony, because uh, <laughs> I nailed the first question out of the park right off the top of my head. I knew the answer. It was like it was staring me in the phone. I was looking at it. I was going to say, it's like you knew that it was right in front of you, the answer. <laughs> Jesus. All right. <laughs> well, I was pretty f***ed on that trivia question, and how fitting <laughs> that I was very f***ed on that because now we are going to introduce a brand new segment that we are going to be doing in two installations, at the very least. An American League, which we'll be doing tonight, and a National League version of this, which Mr. Puglisi dreamed up. And it is the How F***ed Are They scale, or it'll, as it'll be labeled on the uh, title, How F***ed Are They scale. Tony, this was your segment. I am going to let you take it away and kind of explain your thought process of what the segment's going to be about. So, when I go to sleep and I dream of baseball, as I'm known to do, I had an image in my head, an apparition, if you will, a timeline, a spectrum, a scale that had all 30 teams, all their logos just spread across from left to right, the left being the most and the right, the least. I kind of wondered how we can incorporate this into the show. Originally, I had the idea of just all 30 teams just at once, almost like an Around the Horn type, but Tom astutely pointed out that'd take way too damn long, considering how long Around the Horn used to take. So, like Tom said, we are going to be splitting this into two editions. On this fine evening of November 22nd, we will do the American League, and the National League we will do in two weeks. What we are going to be ranking is, essentially, how f***ed or how not a team looks to be going into 2022. We want to do this before most of free agency kicks up. Obviously, we have a few a few moves to take into account right now, like the Tigers have already made a move, the Angels have made a couple of moves. But for the most part, we are going to be ranking these teams into five categories. And these categories will be, if you are at the very top, the upper echelon, the far right of the league, and you don't have to do much, if anything, to improve your roster, you are in ain't no stopping us now because there ain't no stopping you now. This is going to be the cream of the crop of both leagues. They don't really got to do much. The one right below that is just the you're going to be good, just make a few moves type of segment. I didn't have a creative name for this one, so I called it sure up with some depth and you'll be fine. Those are the two good tiers you could be in the middle tier is just called rebuilding and retooling. Again, these are your bottom feeder teams that don't really have expectations. You're just going to go through the motions next year and hope to be competitive in a few in a few more. The last two tiers, the fourth is going to be called... <laughs> do you smell smoke? That should indicate warning signs like, oh man, do you smell smoke? Is that fire? Like there's... There's something seriously wrong here. Something really needs to be done if we want to be competitive. Unless, of course, you fall into Tier 5, which is everything is on fire. These are the teams that were once competitive and are not, that are staring in the face of a rebuild, not particularly there yet, or have some interesting circumstances in terms of player contracts or relocation rumors that they're going to have to face sooner rather than later. So, we're going to be putting teams together from the American League today, just putting them into these five categories. To the far left, you have Everything is on Fire. The far right, you have uh, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Well, we're very likely going to be posting graphics of this, both for the AL and NL. But nevertheless, we are going to get started. We're not going to do a randomized order like we did with the um, Around the Horn. We're just going to go from 
the top of the AL East to the bottom of the AL West, putting teams in categories as we go. We won't spend too much on every team, I think three minutes max, but I have rambled long enough. Tom, why don't we kick things off, have them, uh, shall we? Yes, indeed, Tony, let's determine how some teams truly are and we're going to start off with a team that should be pretty obvious because I don't really think there ain't no stopping them now and that's going to be the Tampa Bay Rays until somebody can actually crack their pitching code with their relief pitchers and actually figure out how to beat them in the regular season the Red Sox kind of figured it out in the postseason then yeah there's probably not gonna be any stopping them now they've got the some of the best pitching in the league if not the best pitching squad in the league they do need to they could be going into the next category, sure up with some depth, and you'll be fine, because I really do think they could use some boosts on offense, but Randy Rosarena will only get better, Wander Franco will only get better, and some guys will get better. They'll find a way to get it done. It's to raise. They have a great farm system, I think. They're wholeheartedly and ain't no stopping us now, because they are probably going to be the AL East favorites going into next year. I had no qualms with that one. Trust me, I think this is one of the slam dunks of the American League. I don't have much to add to that. The Rays are going to be an ain't no stopping us now easily. So that being said, let's look at the next team up, which I don't think is as much of a slam dunk as Tampa Bay, but they're pretty darn close. That being the Boston Red Sox. Now, I'm going to put the Red Sox in sure up with some depth because they're not a perfect team. They definitely overperformed from last year, but especially with the loss of Eduardo Rodriguez early in this offseason, you need to sure up that pitching depth. And I would personally like it if they went out and grabbed a closer because they had Matt Barnes last year. He kind of fell off the wagon and they they needed to do a closer. I don't want to say by committee because they did have sensation Garrett Whitlock. But uh, the Red Sox hitting core needs no explanation. J.D. Martinez declined his opt-out. He's coming back. Obviously, guys like Bogart's endeavors are coming back. I don't think the Red Sox are staring in the face of any sort of tank or bad news going into next year. Just sure up the pitching a little bit, get some depth, maybe a bench bat or something. But nevertheless, I think the Red Sox are going to be fine next year. Sure up some depth and you'll be fine for me. Yep, I'm going to put them in the same category, Tony. I think their offense is perfectly fine. If anything, they overperformed this past season, especially I'll look at a guy like Hunter Renfro and be like, how the fuck did this guy like end up? playing so well to the point where he was a questionable gold glove finalist. Um, no questions about his assists and on the outfield. I'm just saying he overperformed maybe more on the offensive end than the defensive end. But yeah, get some pitching. I feel like that's a common trait with the Red Sox. And then they will be okay. But now, <laughs> huh, this is going to be a very interesting one because we can go in many different directions. The New York Yankees. Oh, boy. I think we've talked about, I think we've talked about this team quite enough either on Twitter or on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to where we don't have to explain so much. But for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, we're big Yankee fans, if you couldn't tell. Or by all bias aside, this team is going in... This team... Mm, this team gives me migraines a lot. And it's the inconsistencies in is Boone a good manager or not? Is Cashman going to be the right GM? Can Hal actually make the moves? I think this offseason is really going to dictate whether or not they're going to be in the final two categories or whether or not they'll actually go up to sure up some depth and you'll be fine. That's where they should be. Frankly, there should be an ain't no stopping us now. But because there's so many question marks and they've made so many questionable decisions, <laughs> Tony, I, I think I'm smelling smoke. I think that's uh, where I'm going with the Yankees on this one. They're not in a full-on fire yet. If they start off like 20 games under 500 next year, then they will definitely be there. 
You know, I was actually thinking something similar. I wasn't thinking straight up everything's on fire. That would be if they like, traded Aaron Judge or Garrett Cole or somebody, but they definitely do face a lot of questions. I'm very curious as to see how the Yankees brass is going to handle it because, frankly, if they make the wrong moves, I'll be way more willing to put them in. Everything is on fire, but I don't think right now is that time. Maybe in a few months we're singing a different tune, but right now I'll put them in, like, upper echelon of do you smell smoke. It's not like... There's visible smoke. It's just like a faint, a faint whiff of smoke. There's there's trouble on the horizon. Oh, oh I, but oh, I was just gonna say the smoke should be clearly visible. It's like they're electing a new pope. You have to make it nice and visible <laughs> to know to the public how this is going. Well, I'll be a little more nice to them because there are moves they could do to offset their woes. Maybe I'm just being too optimistic about this team, but it's still very much in the air for the Yankees, and I think we're on the same page about that. So, do you smell smoke? Is a good place for the Yankees. Now, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm putting yet another team in Shurup with some depth. And that team, ladies and gentlemen, is the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays had an interesting season. They won 91 games, but they missed the playoffs. The biggest tragedy in Major League Baseball. So, they had a successful season in my eyes. Their key performances coming chiefly from the lineup, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, need I say more? They had a Cy Young winner in Robbie Ray. Uh, best One of the best second base seasons ever in Marcus Simeon. The key for the Blue Jays is going to get be getting one or both of them back, either Ray or Simeon. I would lean more on Ray, but that's not to say right now. I'm going to put them in sure up with some depth because you need to sure up, like I said, either Ray or Simeon. And I would say maybe, maybe one more small piece for the rotation or a bullpen piece. I'm not going to... Go as heavily on the bullpen because the bullpen actually did get its shit together towards the end, bleh, towards the end of the year. Once they plugged in Jordan Romano as the closer, get that depth starter or that depth sixth or seventh inning guy, and then you're good. The lineup literally needs no tinkering. Maybe a third baseman if you really need it, but I think the Blue Jays will be fine for next year. I'm willing to put them, if anything, higher than the Red Sox and sure up with some depth because I have high hopes for this team going into next year. They are going to be deadly if they get those pieces yeah their stock is on the categoric rise if they were a team for sale up on wall street if you could buy stock into a team i'd want it to be the toronto blue jays if you're going at least in the american league maybe not all the mlb maybe i would take another team into consideration for i would meteorically buy them on the rise but anyway yeah i'm gonna put them in the same category i could put them in ain't no stopping us now just because i think they are going to be on the rise but you pretty much said it best. They've got a great offense. It, it's just going to come down to whether or not they can get Robbie Ray and Marcus Semyon back. But more than likely than not, it's probably going to be one or the other or neither than both. Even if they don't have Robbie Ray going to the next season, they still have enough assets to get another starter if they really need to. They can sign somebody short term. Uh, the bullpen, you were saying it's actually better than expectations toward the end of the season. That's good for them, but they still should probably get some help there. You can never go wrong with more bullpen help. Sure up with some depth, the Blue Jays will be fine. Now, this is probably one of those teams are going to spend the least amount of time on. The Baltimore Orioles, rebuilding and retooling. No other way to put it. They're in a full rebuild. They've got guys like Adley Rutschman on the horizon. Um, trying to think of who else on the Orioles is on the horizon I can remember from their farm Gra system. Grayson, Grayson Rodriguez, Heston oh, yeah, Kerstad, D.L. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about Heston, but he's kind of been a disappointment, I think, in the uh, Myers. I don't, 
it's or maybe I'm thinking of another guy who hasn't played for them uh, since signing his contract or being drafted. That might be somebody else in Heston Kurjad, but yeah, they're they're rebuilding. We shouldn't have to spend much more time on this rebuilding, I, retooling. They, they're still in a long way to go. What? What are you talking about? There ain't no stopping us now. They're obviously in rebuilding. <laughs> they had a few good performances this year. Said the aforementioned Cedric Mullins, first 30-30 season in O's history. Ryan Mountcastle getting Rookie of the Year votes, but other than that, wait for the prospects to get here. Just stomach a little more of this Baltimore. The team's performance is mimicking the state of your city. I'm sorry, I had to have that dig in there. But wait a few years, you're still rebuilding. Now, moving divisions. We are going to go to the AL Central and visit the probably the biggest paper champs you can call them in all of baseball, that being the Chicago White Sox. Now, as much as I trash them for playing in a division where they were practically kiff-wrapped, that division title. The White Sox are still a very well-run organization, or a very structurally sound organization. I don't want to say well-run. I know White Sox have issues with that owner of theirs, and that manager of theirs, but same time, I'm still going to put them in sure up with some depth. I definitely sound like a broken record. That's three in a row for me. But the Chicago White Sox, very similar to the Toronto Blue Jays. They're on the rise. They've got a dynamite lineup. You know, your Jose Abreu's of the world, your Eloy Jimenez is... Jimenez's, Tim Henderson, Yoan Moncada, they, Luis Robert looks great for next year, you ask me. I, I'm i not as high on the White Sox as I was last year, but depending on the moves they can make this year, in this offseason, they could be squarely in shore up the depth. Uh, excuse me, shore up with depth. Same thing I'll say about the Blue Jays, maybe just get some pitching help. You know, Dallas Keuchel was a tire fire last year. Tom kind of said it with the bullpen, you can never have enough arms, and the way their uh, lineup is stacked up right now, I don't really have too many concerns. Maybe right field, if anything, you know, Leori Garcia can't handle it forever. Maybe get a long-term second baseman, if anything, since you traded away Nick Madrigal in that terrible trade, but I won't harp on them too much longer. Get a second baseman, maybe some pitching help, and a right fielder. Other than that, sure up with depth. See, this should be a team that's in ain't no stopping us now. One of the few teams that will be in that category just because of, you You put it greatly, they were the on-paper champions coming into last season. Now we can say that being the 2021 season. I'm going to go in a different direction, though. I'm smelling a little bit of smoke in the White Sox factory because they should have really? been a lot, they should have played a lot better come the postseason than they should have. This was a team on paper that people were predicting to go to the World Series, and they got embarrassed by the Houston Astros. embarrassed. I called it from a long ways away. It was going to be a wash, and that's because I had no confidence in the White Sox. So that's pretty much why I'm smelling some smoke. On paper, they will run with this division. There's no doubt in my mind they're going to win the division next year. They secured a playoff spot already. In no, at the tail end of November. How far they go, that's going to be questionable because if they don't go very far next year, there's going to be a lot of questions surrounding the future of some people within the franchise. Maybe not player-wise as much, but definitely some organizational pieces and executives. Now, the team with the new name. Oh, dear God. The Cleveland Guardians. I was going to say Indians, but they are the <gasps> Guardians now. disgusting now this is a team i will first off say rebuilding and retooling they're not going to be a team that's competing for the division they've got some good players they got jose ramirez and shane bieber 
They're more retooling than rebuilding, but they have a long way to go before they can think about competing with the White Sox for the division. Maybe they can sneak in a wild card spot, but probably not. There's too much good talent above them. But there's a certain situation that we will talk about later on in the show that makes me think everything is on fire. And it's not just that they probably paid off the Cleveland Guardians women's roller derby team. Um, a nice hefty paycheck to actually get their team name. Not that situation. Something else that we will talk about later in the show where everything could be on fire to them because it's not a good start over in Cleveland with this rebranding. But rebuilding and retooling is a very fair assessment for them. I, I'm going to be honest, Tom. I'm going to be more brash. I was actually thinking of putting them and everything is on fire. <laughs> After last year, they showed everyone they can't keep up with the Joneses of the Worst division in baseball anymore. Their only good players, like you said, Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber, Cal Quantrill, and Aaron Chevali on a good day. You're you got nothing in that lineup. Your prospect your prospect pool is okay. Tyler Freeman looks okay. Nolan Gorman pardon me, Nolan Jones looks good. But I I have no hope for Cleveland. I really think the era of the Guardians is going to start off on a piss poor note. They are going to be bad to start next year and who knows they haven't gone on to straight up fire sale right now ironic being putting everything is on fire but i'm gonna put them at least on the border of do you smell smoke and everything is on fire because i don't like the outlook of this team at all coming into next year who knows that could change down the line but for now that's where they are now ladies and gentlemen are you ready for my fourth shore up with depth in a row because you got it the detroit tigers Yes, the Detroit Tigers in a tier other than everything is on fire. I'm flabbergasted too. So, even though the Tigers are probably the only team, or at least one of the only teams, we're going to put insure up with depth under 500 in 2021, I think any baseball pundit will tell you right now that the Tigers are in one of the best positions in baseball right now. They've got a brand new manager in, uh, well not brand new, but their first year manager in A.J. Hinch going into his second year. The Tigers brass have expressed desire to be heavy buyers in this year's offseason. They've already got Eduardo Rodriguez, and they've been linked to Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, etc., etc., etc. I predict big things for the Tigers in the coming future, and you don't even have to look too far into the future. If you look back into their second half, they were over 500 in the second half of 2021. They are already sowing the seeds of success. I don't want to go all in onto the Tigers stock right now, but I truly think in like two, three years, they're going to be a pretty formidable team. Remember, not all of their good prospects are up yet. Mize and Scoobal are here, but we're still waiting on Riley Green. We're still waiting on Jackson Job, the fellow they just drafted this year. Both look very good. So, Torkelson. Oh my god, how do I forget Spencer Torkelson? Jesus Christ. Him too. They're definitely going to be in shore up with depth. I don't think they're going to be as good as Chicago or Toronto out the gate. It's just going to be their first year of contention in a while. But sure up that depth. You're going to get over 500 this year. I'm, cons I'm convinced of that. And keep going on this course, Detroit. You're on the right path. I'll keep it brief with my thoughts for Detroit. I'm the exact same way with Tony Sharp with some depth, and you'll be fine. Realistically, they're still rebuilding. More 
kind of retooling, honestly, if they get Carlos Correa, in my mind. But I feel like they're setting up these their moves for success in the future right now. Look at what the Cubs did when they wanted to start competing. They got John Lester on a long-term deal. Now they've got Eduardo Rodriguez, who's not on the same level as John Lester, but he's coming from the same team at least, so that's something going for them. <laughs> um, if they get a Carlos Correa, like I will predict heavily that he's going to the Detroit Tigers, that's going to be already make them a formidable team that will be definitely big on the rise. There's going to be great things for them on the horizon. Sharp with some depth, you'll be fine for now. Wait for the guys to come up, get some moves going now. They're going to be in a great position right now. Moving on, we've got the Kansas City Royals. And this one, eh, I was going to say it's more questionable about where I was going to put them, but Honestly, I don't know too much about their farm system other than that Bobby Witt Jr. is probably MLB ready right now and could very well be the starting shortstop for the Royals next season. Tony. I'll, I'll give you a spoiler. It's Bobby Witt Jr., a guy named Asa Lacey, a pitcher they took not too long ago, and no one else. Okay, <laughs> so it's those two and no one else. That's cool. That's the spoiler. So they've, got, they've got an okay depth of players that'll definitely win them Eh, probably near 74 games. I'm also looking at the standings. That's how many they won this past year. So that's probably their hit or miss mark going into next season. Uh, rebuilding and retooling, that's where they're going to be, but they've got to get a farm system going. Start trading your guys, such as a Whit Merrifield. Get some good organizational chips in there, but honestly, you, you just got to be willing to part with these guys. This is not a team that's going to be winning right away anytime soon. This is a team that will not be competing for a division anytime soon. They're already in rebuild mode, but accelerate the rebuild is what I would suggest. At least get some more blue chip prospects. I'm the same way. You can't really put the Royals in anything else right now. Um, Quick addendum to what I said earlier. They also have Nick Prado at first base, who's good, and MJ Melendez, who just won, I believe, player of the year, like minor league player of the year. He He had a very good season. Unfortunately, he's a catcher right now. And he is blocked by Mr. Salvador Perez, but I I say this just because I don't have much else to add to the Kansas City discussion. They're rebuilding. Maybe one of these days they'll actually get a quarter stick, like in 2014, 2015. But until that day, pray you can find some good starting pitching. Pray that Brady Singer actually develops. And pray you can actually find something in that mess of a bullpen. So, um, I'm going to put... I'm going to put a little stamp on this team right here because, ladies and gentlemen, this next team right here is most certainly not in shore up with depth. I assure you of that because the flames are burning in Minnesota. Everything is on fire for the Minnesota Twins. Where else could they be after winning a cakewalk division in 2020 to being 73-89, and 89, finishing dead last in that division behind Kansas City and behind Detroit? How do you do that? So, I think the writing was on the wall by about midseason. They traded away Nelson Cruz, traded away Jose Barrios, although I will say they got great hauls for both of them. Joe Ryan looks great at the major league level. I really love his stuff so far. And for Jose Barrios, Jesus Christ, you guys fleeced the Blue Jays. You got Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. How did you manage that? But, unfortunately for them, many of those uh, those two prospects, at least, Woods, Richard, Woods Richardson, and Martin are not MLB ready yet. For the time being, you don't have much to look forward to, Minnesota. I am sorry. Maybe Trevor Larnack or Alex Kirilov will provide you some short-term good times. You're retiring Joe Maurer's um, 
or Joe Maurer is going to be on the ballot sooner rather than later. It'll hopefully be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't know, Minnesota. It's not looking very good for you. I'm going to put you in. Everything is on fire. Yep. You said it absolutely perfectly. This is a team I at least expected to compete for the wild card this past season, if not be a sure-up wild card pick because of how poor the division was, and then they did go off and finish last. <laughs> Honestly, right now, I'm trading Byron Buxton immediately. There's questions about whether or not he'll be on the roster next year. If you're going to do it, peel the Band-Aid off, get yourself some guys now, or wait till the GM meetings, the winter meetings, and do it then. Make a splash to everybody and solidify yourself into a full rebuild mode. Everything is on fire for the Minnesota Twins right now. Shame on them for playing so terribly in the past year. Enough said. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got one more division to roll through. And there's, <laughs> I'm looking at some of these teams, and there's a lot of different ways I feel like we could go with some of them. But <laughs> let's start right off the bat with the imminent, ain't no stopping us now. That's going to be the Houston Astros. They just got Justin Verlander back. Their rotation is young. They'll probably make some mistakes along the way. They'll be okay. Their bullpen has always gotten it done for them in the past. It'll make them survive. They've got a dynamite offense. Hopefully, Carlos Correa doesn't re-sign with Houston Astros. Then I'm going to be really pissed off, just because then I know the Astros will surely be a World Series contender next year. They already will be, but I just don't want to see Correa return to the Houston Astros. There ain't no stopping Houston. They're going to cakewalk the division. Yeah. Honestly, I was a tad tempted to put them in sure up the depth because Correa's probably going to leave. But at the end of the day, Correa doesn't make the team. Not to mention the pool of free agent shortstops now is so rich, I find it very hard to imagine they don't get another big name. Or, like, they're not going to put Marwin Gonzalez to be their everyday shortstop. So, Houston's a pretty easy ain't-no-stopping-us-now. I hate to say it, but you gotta be objective about this. They got a dynamite offense, and like Tom, like you said, that rotation is young. They're only going to get better. I got big hopes for guys like Valdez, Urquidy, and Christian Javier if Dusty Baker grows a brain and puts him back in the rotation. <laughs> um, trashing my favorite manager in baseball aside, let's move on to another team I am going to put in sure up with some depth, and that is probably the biggest, one of the biggest surprises in baseball last year, the Seattle Mariners. Now, for Seattle, I cannot stress this enough. You cannot abide by the Seattle formula of having a surprisingly good year and then absolutely nuking it the next year. Look at every good year the Mariners have had this century and look at the subsequent year. It's going to look like night and day. Mariners, for the love of God, let Scott Service do his thing. Let uh, Jared Depoto do his thing. Let Julio Rodriguez, hopefully this year, in the outfield with Jared Kelnick, do his thing. And uh, Kyle Lewis is going to be back. Get some, get some help on offense. I think that's going to be their big need. Their offense on the whole was very bad this year. Make sure you roll with roughly roughly a similar core with the pitching staff. I think you could use a bit of a shakeup, but nothing too drastic. My advice for the Mariners is just tread carefully. Fix what you need to, and that's it. You don't need to blow it up or have a huge solid ad. You're good mostly with what you have, and you might be able to sneak into that wild card spot. Trust me, I find it hard to imagine the Yankees are going to be as big of a threat next year as they were this year. So... I hate to say that, but that's where I am with you, Mariners. You've got a golden opportunity in front of you. Don't fall into the Seattle formula. 
here's the way I see it with Seattle. I'm going to agree with you. Sure, with some depth, you'll be fine. They don't need to be a wildcard team next year, solidify themselves actually making the playoffs next year in order for them to have a successful year to transfer going into the upcoming seasons. You got guys like Julio Rodriguez, you're mentioning Logan Gilbert. If he's not there already, he'll be in Seattle mm-hmm. pretty soon to shore up their rotation. Got a very bright future in Seattle. They just need more assets. And this is the time to start buying some really good assets. Maybe grab a Marcus Semyon off a of free agency. He is linked to Seattle by some people. It's quite possible he could go to Seattle. They'll give him some money. I would certainly give him some money if I were Jerry Depoto. But at the same time, I'm talking about Jerry Depoto. He's made some very questionable moves in the past. Some of them have turned out like that Abraham Toro deal. I berated him about the deadline for Kendall Graveman. But it turns <laughs> out Toro is actually playing pretty good for them. So Seattle, sharp with some depth. You'll be fine. You don't have to be a certified playoff team next year to have success. Just make sure you're above 500 and you'll be okay. Oh, dear God, where do we go from here? Because these next two teams, um, (laughs) well, Mm. it was nice knowing you, Oakland, Uh, the (laughs) athletics, this core. Well, let me put it this way. If it's going to be blown up, rebuilding and retooling is where they're going to be heavy emphasis on rebuilding. They don't have Bob Melvin there anymore, so I don't know who's going to be their next manager. Billy Bean could be on the way out. There's many questions about whether or not you're an actual health. You're actually a healthy organization to thrive in because of your cap issues, your stadium issues and all of that. If you go into the same core you're with next year, I'd say sure up some depth and you'll be fine. You can easily be a wild card team. However, you could also be a team where everything is burning. Everything could be on fire for the Oakland A's, depending on one small step they make off course can definitely put them there. Right now, I'm going to be modest and just say, do you smell smoke? Because it's a question about whether or not of how they're going to approach the offseason or if they're going to sell or not or not. I think it's a little too early to tell. I'll put them in do you smell smoke. But Tony might be going in a completely different direction. You see, the Oakland A's at this point in time are at a bit of a crossroads, as Tom kind of alluded to. Like you said, if they stay the course, they don't trade away any of their big assets like Oakland is known to do. They're probably still a wildcard team. Frankly, I love the buildup of the A's right now. But, Oakland, if you don't go into next year with Matt Olson, you gotta go into Do You Smell Smoke? If you keep going, you're 100% in everything is on fire. For the time being, like for this point in time right now, you're in sure of some depth. But one wrong move, you're immediately smelling smoke. Just that is covering your face. So tread carefully, Oakland. You might be staring in the face of something very, very, very dire. But unfortunately, very, very familiar for your team. Now, let's talk about a city that's been smelling smoke for the past six years. Are you sure it's been smelling smoke, or are they literally ablaze? Or are they going to be saved by some angels in the outfield? Oh, trust me, I'm not keeping them in Do You Smell Smoke, because ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to share with you a stat. Do you know, Thomas, uh, Thomas, Tom, bonus trivia question. What's the only Major League Baseball team in the past six years to have a losing record in all six of those years? Hmm... 
Well, you know, if we were making a movie out, this would be a very short mm. movie. The Los Angeles Angels. Wow, how'd you guess? Oh my goodness. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Baltimore Orioles are a stone's throw away from their last winning season. The Los Angeles Angels can't see it with binoculars. I I don't care that you got Noah Syndergaard. I don't care that you got Aaron Loop. I don't care that you're just taking exiled Mets onto your team. You are in Everything is on Fire until you prove to me you're not a joke organization. You are in Everything is on Fire until you have a pitching staff. You are in Everything is on Fire until you get Mike Trout, one of the best baseball players of all time, the greatest player of our generation. Until you get that man a goddamn playoff win, he's... 30 years old and I have the same amount of playoff wins as Mike Trout. That should not be the case. Angels, you are in Everything is on Fire until you prove me wrong. Fix your sh**, treat your minor leaguers with some goddamn respect, and get Mike Trout and Shohei Otani to the goddamn playoffs. Everything is on fire until proven otherwise. This might quite possibly be the biggest five-alarm fire in all of baseball. Outside of the New York Mets, but they actually just hired their GM, so they're not quite five alarm fire yet. Uh, maybe a spoiler for two weeks in advance. I might be putting them in everything is on fire. I'll have two weeks to think about that. Tony, everything you've said, I will rinse and repeat for what I could say about the Angels. Everything is on fire there, a five alarm fire. Art Moreno is still in charge. Boo! God damn it, Manfred. Make him sell the team, for Christ's sakes. The minor league system is one of the worst-kept worst kept environments in all of baseball. I am not kidding. Their minor league system, they were like serving prison food. They were like prisoners down there, for fuck's sake. Shame on you, Art Moreno. Shame on you. At least... They have a decent foundation on their offense. Their pitching sucks shit. They are drowning in the Pacific Ocean. I was trying to say a bay, but I know there's not a bay in the middle of Los Angeles. They're at a 9.8 magnitude earthquake on the Richter scale right now. Jesus Christ. I know I'm going over time, but shame on you, Art Moreno and the Angels. Everything is on fire mickey mouse can't save your ass even though they're right across the street from you no disney magic is going to be shed off on you mother fix your shit and fix your minor league system i i hate to interrupt your tirade but his name's actually artie moreno i could give a less if it's artie moreno or art moreno i don't give a shit. he has no respect in my mind i fair enough he's a pretty shitty owner but last but not least take it away Oh, yeah, I have to talk about another team. Uh, yeah, the Texas Rain. <laughs> Yeehaw, we're going a, to Texas. That would have been such a good finale. Ugh. <laughs> that would have been a great finale. We should have just skipped the Angels and gone right to Texas after Oakland. Oh, howdy doody, partners. They are 60-102 and 102 this past year. They're rebuilding and retooling. They're not going to be a playoff team anytime soon. Let's be ridiculous. Even if they get Trevor Story to sign to a deal or they get Clayton Kershaw to come home, or they sign a big free agent and spend some money. No, this team is not going anywhere. Anytime soon, rebuilding and retooling. Kind of an anticlimactic finale after that blaze that we set on fire. Like we're arsonists with the Los Angeles Angels in those regards. 
But uh, yeah, that that's where the Rangers stand. Don't you mean Art Sinus? Oh, boo. <laughs> oh, I can <laughs> never pass one of them up, but I don't have anything to add to Texas. They are existing as a baseball team in concept only, really. When I watch them, I don't see baseball. I see, hey, come see us in a few years. Maybe we'll be something. Maybe Josh Young will be good. Maybe Jack Leiter will be the ace. Maybe Isaiah Kainafalefa will finally have a surefire position in our, in our lineup. But I don't know what to say about Texas. They're existing for a few more years. I think they're... They're not as far along in their rebuild as, say, a Baltimore. Like, they're in the same boat pretty much as Minnesota right now. They're, it's still going to be a little while before they're good. Honestly, I, I'd say they're even further back than Minnesota. At least Minnesota has good pitching. But there's yeah, really not. At least, at least with Minnesota, I can probably name a couple players to where, outside of Jack Leiter, I can name more than, like, three players from Minnesota that would actually make a worthwhile contribution to their franchise within the next couple of seasons. Oh, I can't say the same thing for the Texas Rangers, uh, you, except maybe Josh Younger, Josh Junger. I think you already said him. What are, you, what are you talking about? You don't like Rangers legend Brock Holt? The only man to hit for the cycle in the postseason. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. By the way, sorry, Adolis Garcia, you're stuck with this team, but... uh. <laughs> that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes all right we're done with the how after are they scale for now stay tuned in two weeks for our national league edition and stay tuned on social media for actually us posting some graphics now i was gonna ask tony a trivia question naming me the five of the other unanimous al mvps in baseball's history mike trout ken griffey unf- jr and frank thomas i win uh huh. Oh, I, I, I mean, I and, asked for five outside of Shohei Otani. Oh, oh, Al uh, so Rosen and have to name me two more. Al Rosen and Hank Greenberg. Yay! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, congratulations. No, I've got a backup question, and I thought about this in about five minutes or less. So this is probably going to be a terrible <laughs> trivia question for trivia two before we get into our final segment of the day. But Tony, I'll just ask it anyway. So today, the 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot was just released officially, and so we've got some new names, some returning names that are going to be up for question about whether or not they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. And we'll probably have a devoted segment about who we're going to put on our ballot sometime in the future. Maybe we'll do that in two weeks, or maybe we'll do that when most of the ballots are released or when they're actually going to announce the class. That could be zero because writers are dickheads. But at any rate, Tony, my question to you, is name me all of the newcomers to the bracket this year. You sh** me. I didn't look at it. <laughs> name, <laughs> name me all the newcomers to the ballot. <laughs> okay, I know some of them. I know A-Rod's on there. I know David Ortiz A-Rod. is on there. Yes. Oh, my God. Why didn't I look at it? I should have just <laughs> looked. Oh, uh, I, was at, I was at work. God damn Can I Can I at least know how many there are or no? Okay, so there's 13 in total. I'm not going to make you name all 13. You already named two of them. Yeah, I, so would, I would throw you off a ledge if you made me name all 13. <laughs> okay. Okay, I thought there was only like five. I apologize. Okay, so you named two of them. I want you to name me three more newcomers to the ballot this year. All right. I believe Tim Lincecum's one of them. That's one of them. Yes. I know. All right, let me think. Tory Hunter's been there. Uh, Carlos Delgado? Is he on there? Or not, not, sorry, not Delgado. Uh, Beltron? Is he on there yet? Nope. Ah, okay. I wish I knew more, because I knew this year 
was like last year almost no one knew was on and then no one was elected because hall of fame voters are morons. we'll talk more about that later okay so what year did they retire i can just try to think of that i think it's like five at least five years in the past it was they have to have had retire so they retired in what six uh, 16 yeah 16 david ortiz retired um yeah 16 or 17 one one of those years Heath Bell? Is he one of them? Heath Bell. That would be a great guess. Unfortunately, I think he was last year, and I believe he... Uh, I don't even know if he got a vote. I, 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 I don't, need, I I don't even know that. if what I'm saying is true. He's not on the ballot, though. <laughs> Try to think, were there any other Yankees that retired in 16, I wonder? I can tell you... Um, I don't know if there was. There was definitely one Yankee. Uh, like he retired. Yeah, like, did he retire as a Yankee though? I believe so. Oh man, Yankees legend Jacoby Ellsbury. No, that's not an answer. No, it's ah. not Ellsbury. So, I, why didn't I look at this post? It literally came out today. <laughs> you know uh, all of these to, players too, by the way. There's no to, like bullshit names. Tulowitzki. Tulo. Tulo is a no go. Ah. But that Yankee I was talking about, his last name does begin with a T. Teixeira. There you go. That's one of them. Give me one more. I, you know, I'm so happy I didn't miss him. That was my favorite player. That was, he was my favorite hitter growing up. Like him and Derek Jeter were like the 1A, 1B. Um, I definitely know these guys. I don't know why I was about to say Jim Tomey. Man's already in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm trying to think of guys like whose careers ended. Uh, Ryan Howard. There you go. That's that's one of them. Let's go. I'll take it. All right. So, yeah, this was a very easy-ish question. Again, because Tony stole my thunder with the f***ing Shohei Otani question. <laughs> but just in case um, you wanted to know any of the other new people that are up for Hall of Fame election, Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ooh. Tim Lincecum, you already said, Justin Morneau, Joe Nathan, Jonathan Papelbon, A.J. Pierzynski, Jake Peavy, and the final one, Jimmy Rollins. Oh, wow. Jimmy and Howard retired in the same year? Yeah, I think Jimmy was with the Dodgers for a while, if you remember at the tail end. I do, yeah. They traded him. They traded him way too late, if you ask any Phillies fan, you ask any baseball fan. But I actually forgot they retired in the same year. That is a stacked class, too. You're right. I knew all of them. Yeah, you will say it's a stacked class, but writers will say, I'm going to have no class, <laughs> quite literally, because <laughs> quite literally, because they'll have zero respect out of my opinion if they put zero people on the ballot, and they'll have no class because they're not going to vote I, for anybody, because they're how, dickheads. How would you put zero names on that ballot, on top of the guys that are already there? I don't want to go into this because it's definitely a next episode or an episode after that conversation, but... If anybody, this is a call to action. If you're a baseball writer listening to us for some reason, if you put zero names, I understand if you don't want to put Bonds or A-Rod or whoever, I don't care. Vote for somebody, for the love of God. That's my call to action. We'll talk more about the Hall of Fame another time because we got to get to our last sec uh, segment of the show. But please, ladies and gentlemen, don't be a douche. Vote for someone on your Hall of Fame ball ballots, even though not everybody can do that. Yes, unfortunately, some people just 
don't want to do that. Speaking of people being douches, we kind of created a segment that kind of makes us look a little bit douchish. <laughs> um, and it's ironic because this uh, segment also begins with a D, and it goes like this. I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart. I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run, and so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. We have got another edition of a deep drive to left. And we already talked about, we had some foreshadowing that we would mention the Cleveland now Guardians in this segment. But I want to talk about something else that is kind of a deep drive because I think it's absolutely hilarious. It could be more closer material, but it is with another AL Central team. And uh, Tony, I believe you were very questioning of what this could be. Yes, uh, I, I, su- I wrote this. I, I surprised you with a closer last week, and now you, now you've got a surprise for me this week. I'm very curious. Can this live up to the Blue Cowboy himself? Well, it's very funny because this team just so happens to have released some new uniforms that happen to be blue. Quite honestly, I couldn't really tell so much if they were new uniforms or not. But the Kansas City Royals recently just unveiled on social media that they were going to have some new uniforms. However, they teased previously that they were going to release some new uniforms. And this is from SB Nation. The Kansas City Royals teased new unis on social media today, but some crafty fans who tried to increase the exposure of the image to reveal it early, they were met with a hidden message written on one of the jerseys, and it said, Nice try. Wait, really? So, that, that happened? <laughs> the, the Royals controlled anybody that tried to get a sneak preview of their new jerseys by saying, nice try. Kudos to the, <laughs> kudos to the Braves, uh, not the Braves, the Royals <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> a massive respect for their social media team for doing that. Again, a very small deep drive just because I think it's funny. That's that's actually really funny. I did not know that happened, and I'm a moron who just went to Google and typed Royals jersey, and now I'm getting all ads to buy Royals jerseys. I already have to overpay for a Braves one. I'm not buying a Royals one, too. That's, that's hysterical, and trust me, if you get a professional sports account that's as good with its social media as that, it's just a gem. I know it's not baseball, but if y'all are into hockey, the Carolina Hurricanes Twitter page just speaks for itself. Or, if you're a basketball fan, just follow the Chicago Bulls on Twitter, because they're absolutely hilarious there, too. They trolled the New York Knicks so hard the other night with a bing-bong message, essentially. And I don't (laughs) even think they tried to do it, but the first letter of their, like, previous eight tweets in a row said bing-bong after they beat them. And that's just what the New York Knicks fans like to say after they win it this year or not. I don't know. But, uh, bing-bong. At any rate, speaking of things that go bing bong uh, when they fall, uh, Tony, how about you introduce <laughs> I, this next? I, I was going to say, how <laughs> you, speaking of bing bong, the Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> so I heavily consider just putting the Cleveland Guardians themselves as a deep drive to left. I f- hate this team. I f- hate their generic ass name and their stupid minor league baseball looking logo, which if you haven't seen it already, folks, they've unveiled their logo, and oh boy, howdy, it would look so at home in beer league baseball. I I told Tom this, like, I like it better than just a block letter C. 
I think that was the dumbest way to replace Chief Wahoo, going from one of the most recognizable sports logos to one of the most generic ones I think in the history of sports is kind of pathetic. At least this one's recognizable. Still looks kind of stupid, but that's not the deep drive to left. I could put the entire organization, who knows, maybe by the time the year starts, they will be an entire deep drive to left. But for the time being, I'm going to put one specific instance in the deep drive to left. So the Guardian's official team store opened not too long ago. This was about, give or take, a little less than a week ago from when we were recording. By the time it's out, I believe it's going to be more than a week. And fans gathered, fans of the feather, gathered far and wide to buy their new Cleveland Guardians gear. And, you know, it's a team store, so you got a little logo, a little sign at the top of the building that says Guardians or Team Store or whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't heard, um, (laughs) the same day that sign went up, because the sign went up and the store opened, that's it, that was like the marquee, like, store's open now, here's your sign. The sign fell from, because it's, it's above the little archway where you enter the store, I believe. Thank God no one was beneath it, like, thank God nobody got hurt, otherwise this wouldn't be a deep drive to left. But the sign fell the very first day they brought it up. Shattered into a million pieces, onto the pavement, Guardians no more, oh my god, like I put in the the rundown, that can't be a good sign. Oh man, you can't tell me. I I just find this hilarious because, like, isn't that just the perfect way for a team like Cleveland to usher in sort of a new era for their team? That's the perfect way to do it. Instead of choking in the playoffs, they're going to choke in the offseason. They're going to destroy a sign for their team. Uh, for their team shop, I swear to God, this team cannot do anything right. From Dan Lust on Twitter, um, he essentially said um, it collapses. This era of Cleveland baseball may actually be cursed. Perhaps they shouldn't have blatantly stolen the name from a roller derby team. And then, <laughs> this is my words now, then they wouldn't have gotten themselves into this bad of a mess. Oh, howdy. And this is why I said they should be everything is on fire when we were doing the how after they scale. As if you are starting like this. Oh, dear God in heaven. This is not going to (laughs) be. It's not going to be a good era of baseball for Cleveland fans such as Mr. Fuzzy from YouTube, uh, who's always on Twitter (laughs) trying to get followed by the Cleveland uh, Guardians, who I think actually just followed him after not sending after being one of their biggest fans on the internet for a while and not getting free guardians merch. I think they followed him on Twitter. So good for you, fuzzy congrats. But Oh boy, this well deserving of a deep drive to left. I I'd say so Cleveland. All I've got to say to you right now is you better hope Nolan Jones plays more like chipper Jones because nothing else in that organization is going to be worth watching once Ramirez is gone. So, with that moment to laugh at the Cleveland Guardians out of the way, I believe that will do it for this edition of the Diamond Duo Podcast. So, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, far and wide, for tuning in to episode 11 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Be sure to tune in two weeks from now, where we post episode 12, breaking down the National League in How Eft Are They?, and talking more things off-season. Hopefully, God willing, the CBA will go well and we'll have off-season to talk about. If not, we'll just have to talk a lot more of how effed the National League may or may not be. 
So again, thank you everybody so much for listening. Please follow us on social media at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram for updates about our next upload. But until then, we will see you all later. Have a good night.